folks, we have reached episode 50, the big 5-0 of the Grassroots Motorsports Podcast, and it is a very special one indeed. A very, very fun, very casual, very off-the-cuff conversation with uh, legendary Mr. Randy Post on the Grassroots Motorsports Podcast, episode 50. Hey gang, JG Pastor Jack here, another edition of the Grassroots Motorsports Podcast. Um, hey, first off, sorry we've not had one in a while. Uh, I, I know I apologize for that all the time, but you know, this is very much a side project from our normal magazine duties, and um, when that stuff gets busy, then we gotta we gotta put this aside and there's really some cool stuff coming up, but don't don't worry about it. We got I'm, I got some projects that uh, I'm working on for the podcast that you guys are going to love. Not the least of which is today's episode. Um, if you don't know the name Randy Popst, go Google it now and you'll realize that you probably do know the name Randy Popst and then we can come back and have this conversation again properly. Uh, we've known Randy. I will actually, we've known Randy was on issue number two of Auto X Magazine back in 1984. Uh, in his VW Rabbit, it was shot behind a grocery store here in Daytona Beach uh, called Pantry Pride. Um, so that's how long we've known Randy. I actually met Randy about the same time. As I, that was before I was working for the magazine. I met him about the same time. Uh, it's a story we actually cover in this conversation. But uh, in St. Pete, uh, at the, the St. Petersburg Grand Prix, he was there running the VW Cup, the the Golf Cup uh, at, at the time. And... Uh, he like had his car at a local mall or some place like on display, and I'm like a 15 year old kid or something, and and I'm talking to this dude about, you know, uh, this looks really cool, and he's telling me about autocrossing and all this stuff, and then a few years later I'm autocrossing my car in in Florida, and there's the same guy, and and um, and it was really cool, and we we became friends, and and uh, he's just been this guy who's kind of been there, you know, for my whole entire career of of being around cars and stuff. And it's really been really cool to see him sort of progress. I mean, back when I was autocrossing in Florida, he was like the local fast guy. He was the guy that you always knew was going to become somebody at some point because he just had this sort of real drive to him and this real passion about, about what he was doing. And, um, you know, we, we in this chat here, it was really very cool because he sort of moved on to another phase of his life where He's not really uh, a pro race driver anymore. I mean, he he you're never really not a pro race driver because, you know, that that that's such a tenuous position to begin with. So but he's not currently employed with a full time ride, um, but he's sort of made a career now out of being an automotive journalist. So it was very, very cool to run into him at a recent press intro for the uh, the Dodge Viper ACR. So it was very cool because you know, I see him at these press things all the time. Usually he's doing the ride and drive and he's one of the, the, you know, the pro drivers who were there to demonstrate a car. And it was very cool because all of a sudden here he is at this press event and we're there, you know, as colleagues. And uh, we, we actually ended up getting paired up on the road drive. So that's where this chat takes place. And, and literally, I mean, it's just Randy and me sitting in a, a Dodge Viper uh, GTS driving along in the in the wilds of uh, northern North Carolina and southern Virginia, you know, around around VIR, 
on their on their road route and just chatting. And it's it's so you know the the audio quality is not great. It's just me holding a digital recorder between the two of us and and trying to poke it back and forth as as both of us are talking. Um, and so you basically hear a lot of Dodge Viper engine noises. You hear us getting lost a lot, and you hear a lot of distractions along the road. But it, it, it ends up being just this sort of very candid, very, very casual conversation. And uh, if you ever have a chance to talk to Randy, he is just – he's a very engaging personality. And, and, and he has this approach to to racing and motorsport that I really like. And, it, you know, I, I don't want to – I don't want to use the word spiritual because it sounds kind of hokey, but he has – you know, he has the same approach to racing that uh, if you've ever talked to, like, a really hardcore surfer, like, there's sort of this enjoyment on this whole other level that they've sort of used this sport to further understand themselves as a person and understand their own limitations and their own their own sort of, um, you know, relationship to the world around them. And uh, Randy is very much that guy when it comes to racing. He just has this sort of you know, this very sort of cool, hippie, bohemian approach to this, to the sport. And, um, it's, it's really worked for him and it, it's, it's very cool to, uh, to talk to him about it. So I, I know you guys are itching to get to it. We're going to get to it. Uh, remember grassrootsmotorsports.com slash discount, classicmotorsports.com slash discount, 20% discount off your new or renewal subscription. Um, that's going to be all for the plugs this week. Because I want to get you guys out to this conversation with Randy. Okay, remember, uh, in a car, driving along, a lot of distractions, a lot of noise, a lot of a lot of background noise. So I apologize for that in advance. Uh, did did my best to run some filters on it, get it out of there. But I think I think you will still find it's it's a very very fun way to spend uh, the next forty five minutes of your life. So here is uh, our chat with Mr. Randy Pope. Enjoy. Sort of underground, you know, <laughs> renegade thing, and 
and uh, just you know the, the whole thing felt very sort of punk rock. We got like eight, eight miles, nine miles to go. So okay, thank you. take your time. But now, now you're now you're a journalist. Now you, I mean, you're here for yes. we're, we're, we're here at this Viper thing, and Randy's here for Motor Trend. Yes, life is moving on, yeah. and I'm really happy for the opportunity. And I've always been such a car guy. I wrote for Auto X magazine. I you, you, did, you were on the second cover. I was. And I was, uh, I did an article, a road test on a 19, I think it was an 87 Acura Integra. It was the hideaway headlight. First yep. gen. First generation. The, 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 not, like just the covers popped up, I think. That uh, could be. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. First gen. There was something that hit away. I miss hideaway headlights. Yeah. Oh, I, I bought. Uh, my daily driver now is a 91 MR2 turbo. Oh! So I have a pop-up headlight car again. It's so cool. Oh, those are those are good cars. The 91 right. though had the dicey rear suspension. Yeah. Well, this the is 14-inch wheels. Yeah, this one is actually um, it's a Gen 4 motor. Uh, oh. The, so it, it's basically like a a 2002, 2003 3S GTE that these guys get from Japan. It's like nice. You know, coil on plug ignition, different different throttle body lot. Like 250 horsepower, much, much oh. more modern version of the same motor. Yeah, so nice. it's, it's a nice daily car. Oh yeah, it's a little Japanese Ferrari. Yeah, mid engine. Is it lowered? A little bit. Bigger wheels. Yeah, 17. Yeah, little. that makes them look so yeah. good. That's a cool car, JG. So, so, but you, you actually, you daily drove one of your national, one of your runoffs championship cars, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. You were daily driving yeah. your Civic. My Civic. I didn't win with that. I was second. I thought you won with that. Oh, I should have, would have, and could have. Yeah. That's a good story. The, the Black Civic. The Black Civic. Oh, yeah. Should have, would have, and could have. I got beat by Eric Van Cleef and a Mazda Protégé because the race was shortened three laps. Oh. I didn't think his tire was going to make it, and it was coming apart, literally slapping the wheel well as he crossed the finish line. Oh, my God. Right on his tail, but a Michelin, I think it was a Michelin engineer named Ken somebody in a Miata in about ninth place popped out on the starts every time. Same guy, blue Miata in about the eighth row popped out and the starter waved off three starts. When's the last time you saw that? Wow. Three starts. Well, I knew those counted as race laps. And every time that God blessed Miata pulled out and the starter waved off the start, I said that's one last lap that Eric's tire is going to have to last. Because yeah. there are a couple good cars, but Eric, I knew he was going to be tough. And sure enough, he made it. Wow. It was a good race. Neck and neck. Anyhow. So, so how did hey, is, you, you've been around this world long yeah. enough to, to see everything. I mean, from... From racing 914s and Civics to, I mean, we're, we're, we're cruising along a back road in a 640 horsepower, 204 mile an hour car with the air conditioning on and the nav system going. Yeah, 640 horsepower. There yeah. wasn't that much horsepower on the entire grid of a of, of an SA, Cup yeah. race in 1985. <laughs> there wasn't. You oh know, is, is, is this all good? I mean, have we... What have we lost in getting in becoming this spoiled? Manual transmissions. Uh, 
manual brakes with no booster, manual steering, <laughs> which all describes my 1977 VW Rabbit. Yeah. I won my, won my first national championship solo and had manual everything. And it was very hard for other people to get in that and drive it because it was so different. You had to turn the steering wheel so much and you had to push the brake pedal so hard. But I was young and I got used to it. I had a specific kind of steering technique where I would reach over, go all the way around, pick up with the other hand and go all the way under. <laughs> because you needed that much steering in a quick hairpin. Now you're, I, I, I watched some, some of your in-car stuff. You're pretty good about maintaining nine and three still. Like, is that, I, I, I see, I see, like, I, I still, even on, a, even on a road course, I still get into a shuffle steer mode a little bit. Oh, yeah. And, and I know a lot, I, I see a lot of autocrossers, and then I've managed to, you know, like, like watch uh, Lou, Lou Giamatti sometime. Yeah. That dude never moves his hands more than about ten degrees on the wheel. He's, really? And he's got one arm up on the on the. But he, you know, it, it works for him. But dude, he's like kicking the tail around. I yeah. guess. When you when you first kind of started making that transition to road racing, do you remember having to change your your skill set a little bit? Or I knew how to drive. Yeah. I was really good at driving fast when I started road racing. What I didn't know was anything about racing, the strategies length of the competition, the other people trying to make you screw up in all kinds of different ways. It's all so different from solo, which is much more individual, although you can still play head games in the paddock. <laughs> and in terms of the driving, not as much. I knew what an apex was, and I could learn tracks really well, and I could, still I'm a good qualifier because of that one perfect lap that I grew up with yeah. in solo. That's the whole sport. And so in road racing, that has always come easy for me. The, it's that the longer term things, the racing strategies that I had to learn. I, it's why it's hard to race with people that are new to racing because they don't know that kind of stuff. And they, if they can drive, they stick their car in really stupid places. <laughs> Because they don't know yet. Oh, did you see that bra hanging in the woods back there? I did not. <laughs> it's a large black one. Uh, anyway. We have about a mile and a half to go to our next control point. Right. Which I think is continuous. You're in charge. Yeah. So, but well, we've gained. We've got all this power and capability, but we have stability controls and anti-lock brakes. And stability control, the anti-lock brakes have not, they never did seem to save people the way it was expected, but stability control sure does. And now you've raced a few cars with sort of tunable stability controls and 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 adjustable track traction controls and yeah. you know is is have we just sort of traded one skill set for another in that okay we don't need to to have the, the fine-tuned right foot anymore but we, we need to know how to be able to drive within the parameters of these controls to get the most out of a vehicle. Like, is it is it basically just a just a different different approach to the to the same thing at this point? And uh, I hate electronic controls. Still, we're going straight through the light or through the stop sign. Okay, but they just keep getting better. And 
getting to be so good that now I suspect many times they're still on and I can't tell. Which means that I'm not driving. The computer is. <laughs>
communication skills have always like you've always been a guy who told great stories. And and you too, JG. Oh well, thank you. And uh, you're funnier. <laughs> yeah. well, I gotta I gotta rely on something. I'm not you know I'm not I'm not rich or good looking, so I had to have something. So, um, and, and and you seem to be able to you know to translate that storytelling ability onto the page. Do you, are, are, is the Motor Train guys are they are they supportive of that? Are they are they helping you along with that? Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And I think they were surprised. It was a long time before they asked me to do anything but just drive the car. But I did more and more video because it went with it. I'd get out of the car and they'd ask me to say something about how it handled. And so the video and grew first. And I've even got my own little show going right now too. YouTube Motor Trend channel. It's called The Racing Line. Oh, cool. My own show. And here's some sleepers. Pontiac Bonneville's. Oh, Trans Am. Trans Am's the best one. It's a Pontiac. Oh, you see all the Fieros back there. Fiero, yeah. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. Randwin Park. Yeah. Randwin Park. We may need to do a mileage correction and go back and. Uh, I'd be happy to. You want to? Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 go let's go take a look at. When the, we just we just drove by a place that looked like they had at least seven or eight Fieros parked. This is probably not a good spot. Right? In one spot. It looks like it's worth looking at. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. not many places to turn around here. Now that other Viper's gonna think. Yeah, hopefully they aren't following us. <laughs> Do we have that halfway stuffed away back there. Somebody's going to hear this and know exactly what the, the property we're talking about, I'm sure. I'm sure we're not the first ones to drive by here. 67 Mustang. Where? Uh, right. Oh, yeah, 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 a coupe. Yeah. What's this thing up front here? Is that a Oh, it's a Fiero. Another Fiero. Right Fiero. Yeah. So. Another Firebird. Another Firebird, baby blue in there. Yeah, a bunch of Fieros. Blue fear, oh, blue fear with a body kit. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good find. Any Lambo Fieros out there? No. There's a couple of uh, GTs with the wings. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Things you see. Things you see. So, so what, what was it like that that first time you got the call? Hey, hey, Randy, we need we need some words for for a print story. That had to be a little intimidating. Oh, where was I? Uh, 
started, they, the guys just asked me to give a little feedback on the cars in a written form. We, the main thing I did at first was best driver's car. We have 10 or 11 great cars driving around the racetrack, and they asked for a ranking. And just a couple of lines about each one. Oh, look at the yum! <laughs> anyway, I think my little couple of lines were pretty good. Plus, one thing that I think the Motor Trend guys have always liked about me is that what I say about the cars makes sense to them from what they feel when they drive it. Yeah. And then sometimes I even put it into words for them. They're like, yeah, I felt that, but I, you know, I didn't think of it as like an oversensitive steering or something. We're so gonna turn right here. Oh, and once again, we've hit exactly two miles on our mileage correction. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Uh, actually, actually, no, one mile. Where's the traction control button? Uh, on the wheel. So uh, up, upper, upper right launch. There. I don't want. Launch. I think I think if you hit ESC, it'll hold it down. Okay, there you go. Sport mode. So hit again. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> Nice knowing everybody. Now is when we spin it right into the <laughs> they'll, they'll find a digital audio recorder off in the in the bush. <laughs> See, I, I've always found these things surprisingly controllable for the amount of horsepower they have. I wouldn't bet. No. It was kind of fun. Yeah. And we didn't get busted, I think. We did get it on the limiter. So you've always found them surprisingly controllable. I, I, I found that, that they react very, very well to good tires. Uh, and, oh. and, 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 and they react very poorly to old tires or bad tires. I mean, yes. you, you figure how you, know, you have a lot of capability going on here. So the yes. better tire you can put on it, the better behaved it, it, it's going to be. I'm with you, man, yeah. all the way. That's why I'm encouraged by those Kumos they have on the ACR. Yeah. They look aggressive. V720s. 25 series up front. Yeah. And then they did you see that they have a, a 200 treadwear sticker on them, which I think. I heard that. I do not agree with that, but. Yeah. They, good, good, good for them for getting it on there. Seems optimistic or like a killer yeah. jump car cheater type. Yeah. <laughs> so. And you've gotten to do some jump car this uh, the last couple of years, haven't you? Well, those are the. I can still get jump car rides because my, <laughs> my readers all, all love me. And they want, they're willing to let me drive their beater cars. And uh, well, what's I, the, I hope to still do some pro racing. I don't consider myself retired yet, but I don't have a pro ride right now. I do have a new job with Pikes Peak Racing. It's a race shop in Colorado Springs. I'm moving out there this month. Oh, you're officially moving? It's a whole new deal, wow. yes. I'm excited, the owner, Rob Brooks, likes me and he thinks that I'm going to help his business and that's the plan. That's awesome. So you're some credibility, yeah. You know, kind of guide, mentor. And what what are they, are, is that like a full service race shop? Are they going to be dealing yes. a little bit of everything? So yeah, it's a, if you want to do a ride and drive shop. for a spec Miata, you, you, they'll yep. do whatever you want to do. Yep, I'll be doing coaching and I'll be helping with the Setup advice. I'll be coaching the owner. We're going to do a little bit of racing, and uh, I'll be trying really hard to put together race deals and get back to World Challenge or something. Probably World Challenge. We'll see. 
tell, tell us about from a actually from a coaching perspective. Tell us about what you learned in your crash at Pikes Peak. Get more sleep. Really? <laughs> For Pikes Peak, I had to get up at 2 a.m. every morning. Oh, my. And I needed to be in bed by 7 or 8 p.m., which is something that's really hard to do. Yeah. There's always stuff going on. I never was. All week. And I think that's one of the reasons why I just made a mistake on the road on where I was when I knew that road full well. And uh, so next year, more sleep. I studied hard. And uh, it's not the place where you can make a mistake like that. I was so lucky to get away with that. We left the road at 80 miles an hour. <laughs> and, 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 how, and if you haven't seen the video, it's, it's easy to find out there. But the, you, you actually cleared a pretty good distance in midair. You measured, oh, yeah, well, you measured I, the midair distance? I did not. I stepped it off. It was over 100 feet. Wow. In the air. Dropping rapidly. Nissan GTRs don't have a lot of <laughs> lift. Yeah. It dropped rapidly. It went right into a water retention area called the sump. It was, uh, it was a big mistake. But on, on the upside, though, as, as far as Pikes Peak crashes go, pretty benign. I mean, you, yes. you, you kind of got away with one. Yes. You know, uh, the, That's so the, true. The car is going to be recoverable. And, yeah, we're going to rebuild it, and make yeah. it better for next year. How, how does that? I mean, you, you, you've had a few pretty pretty good hits over, over the years. Yeah. How does that affect you mentally? Oh, you know, the next. I mean, is it is is the next time you get in the car fine, and then it hits you down the road somewhere? Or what, what's it's the, depressing. What's the, what's the mental path back into a car? It's really depressing, frankly. I don't like wrecking cars, and it's very, very rare that I do it all by myself. Usually, most of my worst accidents have been ABS systems that got confused and wouldn't stop. Almost all of my really bad accidents were that. Once in a while, it's just been pure me, and I hate it. I feel like such a scumbag for a while. I can't wait to get to the next race and have one go well, and so I can start putting it behind me. You know, where people hitting me, things like that. And here, I, the good side is that it was not a driving error. I didn't lose control. The bad side is that it was definitely a mental error. Yeah. Error. I, I was at, from the look of the road is similar, and I thought I was one corner ahead of where I really was. And that's good from a driving standpoint. It's bad from a mental standpoint. I don't like thinking that I can make that kind of error. Although at Pikes Peak, it's actually pretty darn easy to do. <laughs> yeah, I imagine they all just look the same. You, 150 corners. Do you have any sort of mental device you use to memorize that, or do you? Okay, how do you, how do you even begin that? You just do it in sections. Yeah, you, yes. You, I mean, being just like practice, we yeah. do sections. Now, growing up being an autocrosser, I'd imagine you adapt pretty well to new tracks. Yes. But at, at the same time, 150 corners is 100. Yeah, that's when I I knew I was starting to learn the road is when I started picking apexes. Yeah. And not just simply focusing on how tight is that next corner or what happens around those rocks. <laughs> and uh, the, the thing that I used a lot was video. I used uh, Mike Skeen's in-car video. He drove a Nissan GTR last year and won the open division. And so I would watch his video and see if I could recite what the next turn was going to be. And I did that in sections. 
and it was really hard. It's a lot. It is a lot to learn. And I was in a good place. The, the run was going well. I felt good. Hitting the apex is going fast. I had the quickest time by a good margin already. We were, gosh, only about a third of the way into it. We weren't very far along. This sixth gear is so tall that it's almost useless below 60 miles an hour. We're going to be turning right here on 86 coming up. So when was the last time you did the autocross? Oh, I have only run two autocrosses in the last 20 years, believe it or not. I've done a lot of driving events where there was an autocross type maneuver. But earlier this year, I met a woman named Angela Carlasio. Yep. Am I turning here? Uh, no, it says there is. 86. It's a Highway 86 towards Danville. Okay. There's, there's no stop sign. It should be there we go. real close. There it is up there. Darn, and this uh, antique blazer is also turning, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, and Angela's cool. She's one of our local Central Florida uh, hardcore regular autocrossers. Uh, she drives cool. a hardcore. Honda Civic. Oh, wait a minute. I know where we are. Yeah. I've taken this run to VIR yep. before. And uh, Angela let me drive her car at an autocross with the Martin Sports Car Club over in Orlando, Tavares, I think is where we were. It was kind of a small site, but I think they picked out a good site. Uh, I mean, a good course that utilized the site very well. I thought the finish was a little bit hairy, <laughs> but that's really sort of, there's a long tradition of that at Martin's Sports oh, yes, Car Club, yes. of doing things that you would probably not see at an SCCA event with a solo safety steward. Do they still have solo safety stewards? Uh, Gary Meredith is still a, a certified solo safety steward. My old buddy called me yesterday. Yeah. I haven't talked to him in ages. Uh, he just wanted to make sure I was all right. He saw that Pikes Peak video too. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we did that autocross. She has a Honda Civic in the uh, street mod front wheel drive, STF yeah. class. And really well prepared good car and uh, I got fastest time of the day nice and fastest time on packs and both by about I think it was less than a tenth of a second <laughs> but I took it man because all the memories came streaming yeah. back I autocross was my whole life when I was in college screw college I was all about the autocross because I wanted to race and I loved the competition and the driving and that's what autocross is, it's competition. You can go do a track day, sure, but you're just cruising around, cruising around. And an autocross, that's hardcore, full-on competition. And, and, and it's competition that you can do at whatever level, you know, you can go to a local event, or you can go out with, you know, the 1,500 best drivers in the country and go to nationals. Yes. And, um, you know, the, the level that those guys measure themselves at and compete at is, is astounding. It's astounding. I think it's like an Olympic. I've always considered autocross to be similar to an Olympic floor exercise. Yeah. You have this short exercise that must be done perfectly, except you don't get all the practice they do. <laughs> they do the same exercise a thousand times. In autocross, you just get a couple. And so it was so enjoyable to be back in that environment, to 
uh, be with people like Angela that are so enthusiastic about autocross and that just love it. And it brought back memories for me, and I enjoyed the. Are we straight on here? Yeah, another half mile or so. We're going to be turning okay. right. Uh, That's the way I usually go. Is 158 that way. Yeah, it'll be a Napa. Okay. Uh, a Napa store. Yeah, Napa store and ABC Liquor. And uh, we're turning right on old 86. The shifter requires a fair amount of effort to make it go to the right gate. Yeah, it always it always seems to go to the right spot, but but you have to. It, it, it sort of limits how fast you can do it. Yeah. And, um, and you gotta be. You gotta be a, be a man about firm it. Firm with it, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I think that a small yeah. woman might have trouble handling that. Frankly, it takes a fair amount of strength. Yeah, I feel like there's a vibration. It's well, we're 62 miles an hour. Yeah, we're cruising at 1,300 RPM, 1,400 RPM. This might be it right here. Yep. Take a right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was a big. Yeah. That was a great day for me. A big comeback. I had left Daytona because I was looking for a ride in the Rolex 24 and I was burnt out. <laughs> I've never liked looking for rides, James. Yeah. It's amazing I've had a career in racing for somebody who doesn't like looking for rides. I've been lucky, very lucky. And to go over the autocross and have such a great time and then, you know, get a little pat, pat myself on the back, turn fastest time in a, in a good running little Honda Civic. It was... Uh, Real enjoyable walk down memory lane. So is that is that is that a path that you the, the, the path you took is when you, when you did it it was kind of the way you did it but not many many guys have sort of walked that path where they went from autocrossing to road racing without a you know a personal benefactor or a lot of family money. I mean you you had some fantastic factory rides and, and still have great relationships you know with, with, with some of these factories um, what was what made you able to do that when that really wasn't the standard path do you think I couldn't do anything else yeah have you ever been oh. no yeah I never have so with Pikes Peak Racing this is going to be my the first real job I've ever had like going to work and sitting in an office and, yeah wow yeah I I'm really going to be living a new kind of life, but I'm ready because road racing was always nervous. I never knew what the next deal was going to be. Yeah. I never knew how long they were going to last. All this time, it was only one year at a time. I was with K-Pax and Volvo for seven years, and each year was one at a time. Each time I'd come back to December or January, and I didn't know... If I was going to have a deal again, and it's nerve-wracking. Uh, fortunately, I didn't worry about it too much. <laughs> I just went on faith. Yeah. I've always kind of gone on faith, and I don't recommend that strategy. <laughs> but I also persevered. I just found that I liked racing so much that that was all I wanted to do, and I wasn't even going to try to do anything else. And 
I admire people that raced like I do, and they have a job on top of it, like uh, Andy Pilgrim, for one. Yeah. And ran his own business. Lou Gelati, you mentioned, he has his own business selling Corvette parts and things. Goodness knows what he did in the old days, and he still races. <laughs> so, so what do you, what do you see yourself doing a few years down the road? I mean, is it is you're you're developing a whole new set of skills here, and and do you, do you, yeah. you see being able to parlay some of these back into the car? I mean, are you looking to to pass on some of your racing skills, get more into coaching, or is that is Yes. And you, you, you definitely still have still have that that sort of athlete's fire going on. I do. Yeah. I do. Um, but it's just so different from being a, a young lion who uh, is doing it on pure skill. Yeah. And it's funny when you've raced a while start learning all the things that can happen and, and that's not good to know sometimes oh, well and, and and not just the things on track but you know these relationships you make and then and you know you're out there you're out there with friends and you're, and you're watching them put themselves in danger and 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 you're you know your success affects their their success negatively and Yes. And and, you, and that starts to creep into your head. It's like, boy, if I if I win this week, my best friend is going to lose this week, yes. and he's going to got to go back and explain to his boss, you know, what happened. And and that that's a whole other layer of of emotional responsibility that's added to things. It is JG, but I'm not that responsible. <laughs> Honestly, you manage to stay competitive. Yeah, I don't worry about that. I think only about winning the race for me, totally selfishly, without doing my competitors wrong, without stabbing a guy in the back, at least not where I feel like I did. <laughs> Sometimes are you he might feel like he did. Are you a real competitive guy in, in other areas? I mean, if, no. you, if you're playing pool at a, at a bar somewhere, are you the guy that's got it? I'm not at all. Really? I'm a different guy in the race car. It's, it, I don't consider myself that competitive, you know, I'm like, oh, after you, after you, <laughs> I'm even that way in the races sometimes, because I believe in the uh, finishing first to furnish, finish first theory, first finishing to finish first, look at curve, JG, I know, we must be getting near the mountains, another uh, half mile, we're going to stay right on Walters Mill Road. generates a lot of g-force the, the, the capabilities of this thing I uh, mentioned that I, I did uh, coach a guy at a NASA event um, a few weeks ago in, in, a, in a brand new one of these things and he was you know his his, his knowledge of what it takes to go fast on a, on a road course was not there but his car control skills were, were pretty good uh-huh. but to get to the limit of a car like this you're, you're going at such ludicrous speeds. Yes. Um, so I think we're going to stay right here. This way? Yeah. Yeah, Walter, <laughs> Walter's Mill Road. There's a Viper over there. Church. We're shooting some hoops. <laughs> 
you know, it, it, it's a little intimidating to know that you can walk into a dealership and buy this thing. Yeah, especially and, as a street car. Yeah, well, and, and we're the, the main reason we're here is to drive the ACR, which is their new track car. Um, nothing, nothing yet. We're, we're staying on Walters Mill Road for yeah, a few more miles. This thing vibrates. It does. It doesn't like being below 1,500 very much. Yeah. But it, it, it seems like them having a track car is a very, sort of a very natural extension of, like, the, the capabilities of this thing are, are so far beyond what you'll ever use on the street and what you could ever really even enjoy on the street. True. That you need to have a track package for, for something like this. <laughs> and if you, if, you feel, if you own one of these and don't take it to a track, you're, you're, you're missing out on a lot of enjoyment of the car. Although I, I took one to Lowe's not long ago and loaded a bunch of crap in the back and it actually worked pretty well. <laughs> it's a hatchback. Yeah. Got a sprinkler pump in the back and I had a bunch of PVC pipe. You can get a six foot PVC pipe from yeah. the foot well down, down all the way to the back there. Did it bend? Barely. Yeah, it's a nice, nice straight line back no there. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, Viper is pickup truck. Exactly. So what? Uh, look at that. Your uh, your Motor Trend best best driving car. What's what's your? And then everybody can go out and buy Motor Trend and figure out what what you what you pick. But yeah. what what what's your criteria for a good driving car? What what do you what excites you by? wide torque curve. I uh, do, cannot stand turbo lag, so I like, if it's a turbo, the car to have minimal lag. I like a car that has a good balance between control and compliance. So the, this Viper we're driving is pretty strong on the control side. A little, a little not a lot of compliance. And I wouldn't call it uncomfortable, but it's a very firm car. I like a car that will take a set. And that's one thing that I'm not too crazy about on the Viper is that they don't they don't fall into a set where you know you, you've got a nice balance and it's secure. It's, <laughs> it's always sort of making you control it a little bit. Yes, in that sense it is very much a driver's car. Very much so. You have to be the one. Look at this burnout across the bridge. <laughs> Somebody marked the bridge. So another uh, three quarters of a mile. We're looking for any Compton Road. There's no stop sign. Okay. Left or right? Uh, turn right. Right. So, so I like cars that drive themselves. Yeah. I think my definition of a good handling car is I don't have to consciously do anything to drive the car really fast. I just simply drive the way I drive, and uh, the car does that for me. Next, next ride. The front end works. Gravel. Oh, it's too much grip. <laughs> I was trying to gently drift the tail, it didn't work. Hey, look, Virginia. Yeah. Oh, it's just... So is there anything... Wow, pretty 
obviously we've seen what the uh, you know what new cars you like anything from from back in the day that stands out as a car that particularly impresses you like that maybe isn't isn't brand new the Datsun 240Z oh that incredibly good car that was just so inexpensive and sold such volume that it I don't think it got the credit it deserved at the time and now they're the values finally coming up yeah but great car especially the 240z the early ones and uh, another car that I love to drive believe it or not is an, an 80s Camaro really Camaro Firebird awesome yes I had a 92 which was uh, you know the the last of the that generation yeah. 82 to 92 and showroom stock car that had cheater shocks in it not by me at least I think they were because they were so <laughs> firm it was so much fun to drive that car it was like that it was it would take a predictable set a tossable car huge amount of chassis flex and and no like cheaply built yeah, but what a what no a good time car to drive no right to be as good as they were I mean recirculating ball steering and struts <laughs> in the front but somehow Worked. Yeah, oh, I saw that. Uh, you're taking a right on Goodyear Road, which might should be coming up here pretty soon. I actually thought it was more fun to drive than the next generation one, the '93, up, which is still a fun car. I like pony cars. Um, Datsun 510 with a suspension job. Yeah. Same with the BMW 2002. Those cars. Uh, Datsun 2000 Roadster. One of my favorites, I haven't even driven one in a long, long time, but I had one back when, and what a fun car. Well, you Great drove, engine. You drove the Harvey's car at a couple autocross. This is a right. Correct? Yeah. Uh, no, I never drove their car. I was usually racing against them. Todd Byram's car, maybe? I thought you Sorry? The Todd Byram's car, maybe? I thought I thought you drove somebody's. Todd Byram, yeah. I, I somebody's think, roadster at a couple autocrosses. I think there's a guy named Todd something, Todd Smith maybe. I drove his CRX at Nationals. Oh, the yellow one, yeah. The yellow one. Oh, when you coned away the championship. Yes, but not in Todd's car. That was in the, the uh, third car. I drove three cars at you. Heading right on 29. Yeah, uh, I did cone away the championship. 29 North. It was the last cone on the whole course. Louis Rivera's first-gen CRX SI. Actually, I don't think it was an SI. It was carbureted. Oh, I'd like to have that one back, JG. Well, and, and, and you still, I think you still managed to finish second or third. Yeah, I think I was third. And with carrying a cone the, 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 <laughs> the whole way, so that's, yeah. that, that, that's the yardstick. I, I, you know, I've, I've seen you drive things and frustrate people on the sidelines before. So <laughs> if you ever wondered, you know, about how others perceive your skills, that's, uh, and you know, it's, it's pretty good advice to stop for Randy, th thanks very much. It was, it was a pleasure. Uh, straight on? Uh, straight on for, okay. yeah, to 62. Okay. Well, shoot, hang on, no. We're getting off on 58, which I think is... Probably that. Yeah, another, no. Oh, another, yeah, no, another mile. To take the Danville East. Uh, okay. Yeah, we're basically just going the regular way to, to, be, to be IR now. Okay. So, all right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sign off the recorded part. Randy, thank you. It's been fun. Fun seeing you uh, as a Likewise. colleague in, 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 in one of these things. And, and Likewise, JJ. Yeah. I've known you a long time. You slept on my floor once. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> and the young lady that gave us this viper, I told her, I've probably known JG longer than you've been alive. And, and said, you're, you're under 25? She said, yep. I said, there you go. I think we confirmed that. All so. true. Well, there's trouble. Is that truck on fire? So there you go. Uh, is uh, my chat with Randy that that may be the greatest sign-off in the history of podcasts? Is that truck on fire or just dusty? Um, so yeah, I, you know, what a what a cool guy. And um, you know his his crash at Pikes Peak. If you haven't seen the video yet, it 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 if you've ever known any, anybody that it's actually run Pikes Peak, they'll, they'll tell you the same thing. It's a, it's not a place you crash and. Uh, you know, really, if you walk away from a crash here, you're you're ex- exceedingly lucky. And and if, for for him to to uh, to to crash in in such a benign place there. I mean, yes, every crash was awful. Um, every 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 crash is is just uh, something you hope doesn't happen. But um, man, he what a what a lucky dude to to have that happen uh, where where he did. And it's a real testament to to the fact. To how difficult that event is, that you know a, a guy of, of his stature who's run that 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 uh, that that hill before and he's got experience there, and still you know gets gets behind on the corner count and and, um, and just how everything is laid out. So you know, re- real real testament to just how grueling that that, that event is. All right, uh, so that is it. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope the um, the quality of the audio was not too distracting for you guys. And I uh, hope it was, was, uh, was a fun 45 minutes or so. I'm going to sign off here. Got some very, very cool projects in the works. Um, some very, very neat sort of podcast and uh, uh, print story companion pieces coming up here that uh, we are working on in the near future here. So hopefully we'll not have as big a gap um, in between the next episode and uh, have some cool folks on. And thanks to everybody for sticking around for 50 episodes. Um, I, I really, you know, I don't, uh, I, I forget that there are people out there listening because it's just literally me in an office with a computer and a couple of screens and, and, and a mic. So, you know, there, there, there's not that instant feedback, but then I don't do one for three or four weeks and I, I get emails like, hey, where's the podcast? And uh, so it really, really means, uh, means, means a lot to me and all of us at the magazine. Who are working hard to entertain you folks. All right, I'm rambling. Thank you very much. Grassrootsmotorsports.com, classicmotorsports.com, slash discount on the end of both of those. You get a discount on your new or renewal subscription just for listening to the podcast. Thank you very much, everybody. I am JG Pastor Jack. This is the Grassroots Motorsports Podcast. We will see you next time.